Well, hey, Fuse, every campus, I hope you're having a great Wednesday so far. Uh, listen, we're going to jump right in. We have no time to waste, so I need you to get your Bibles out, get your notebooks out, get your pens out, and get ready to take some notes because we are going right in. And if you want a title for the top of your page, for the top of your notes, go ahead and write down the title of tonight's message is, Remember This Way. Remember This Way way. So listen, I'm going to go ahead and warn you everywhere. Um, the only way I know how to explain this is tonight is going to be thick. And by that, I mean, I'm going to be throwing a lot at you. All right. This is not going to be like, uh, just, oh, I've heard a ton of this before. Maybe some of you have, but a lot of it is going to be new. And I'm telling you, I've been geeking out over what tonight is going to be for the past few weeks. And if you're just joining us, if you're new to the Fuse family, welcome. Can we give a round of applause, some noise for anybody who's new at every campus? We love adding people to the family. And if you're just joining us, we're in uh, teaching through what we're calling the way. We know like being a Jesus follower in today's age can be difficult. It's not easy. So we wanted to look at for nine weeks, we should probably just follow Jesus around, seeing as he is the author of the Christian faith and see how he did it, right? We've all had those what would Jesus do bracelets. So let's, for nine weeks, we're going deep into um, what Jesus did and how he lived. And kind of the phrase for this series has been this, that Jesus can show us the way because Jesus is the way, right? Hopefully you are annoyed by us saying that statement by this point because we've said it every week. Jesus can show us the way of being a Christian because Jesus is the way. So tonight we join him on one of those stops if you will, along the way. And we join him on one of my favorite portions of scripture. I'm gonna try to sit down now as gracefully as I possibly can. So don't judge me. Somebody said we are gonna judge you. Lord, in Jesus' name, purify their heart. Okay, I'm gonna sit down because we join Jesus tonight on one of his stops along the way on his final night before he was to be arrested betrayed by all of his friends, um, tried, and ultimately he would be killed and crucified and buried. And we join him on the night before uh, when all of that is going to happen. And where is he? He's eating with some of his friends around a table, kind of like this one. And you read some of this scripture uh, right before um, I came out. And we're going to join him around the table tonight. So we're going to start now with uh, Matthew 26, 17. So let's look at this scripture again together. It says this, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Stop. There's a reason why that is highlighted on the screen because what is that? Right? Maybe some of you know this. Maybe um, you've studied this before. Uh, maybe you have some friends who are in the Jewish faith. What is Passover? Uh, and the Jewish tradition and in Jesus' time, this was the most important meal and the most important table that they could have sat around to eat. This was it. All right? So let's talk family traditions for a second. Anybody have just like some family traditions? Y'all do it every year, maybe every Christmas, every Easter, every Thanksgiving. Christmas is close, y'all. I know it's 1,008 degrees outside, but...
but Christmas is close, all right? It's supposed to get down to the 70s soon. We're on our way. I'm a summer forever, but give me Christmas on the horizon and I'm okay. So we have a lot of family traditions in my family. We even have a family prayer, okay? Um, this is how our family prayer goes. <clears throat> trying to do my granddaddy proud. Lord, give us hearts to be truly thankful for this and all our many blessings. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, that's our family prayer. Thanksgiving, Christmas, any kind of meal, Easter, whatever, especially if my granddaddy's there and we gather around together, it's going to be, all right, let's pray as a family. Lord, give us hearts to be truly thankful for this and all many lessons. Do you stand for a sec, amen? It's almost like I'm speaking in tongues. I'm not. I'm just, that's how fast the prayer is said. And I know even now when my granddaddy like prays something different, I'm like, I'm always caught off guard. And I'm like, did God even hear us? Like, he's so accustomed to the same prayer coming out. Like, does he even hear when we pray a different prayer, right? We all have our family traditions. I remember growing up when I'm the youngest. Any babies in the family? Yep. Don't boo the babies. How dare you? But I'm the baby in the family. I remember my brothers, like, left the house before me. And so our family traditions changed. And I cried because we couldn't do Christmas the same. Because traditions are like a big deal. Well, this right here is the longest-running family tradition of all time. The Passover meal has been going for over 3,000 years, okay? Comparatively, Thanksgiving that we will celebrate soon has been going for like 398 years. I Googled it, which means that's true. So this is the longest-running family tradition of all time. Um, they did it every year as a means of remembrance. Passover was the way the Israelites remembered God's promises and his provision. Anybody remember our Exodus series that we did at the beginning of the year? Okay, if you weren't here, it was one of my favorite things we ever, we've ever done. Um, go to newspringfuse.com or you can go on our app. That's right, we have an app. You need to watch it. But they're celebrating and they're remembering how they were slaves in Egypt for thousands of years and how God brought them out. This is in Exodus 9 through 14 if you want to go read it. But every year they would sit down and they would remember Passover together. I mean, this is one of the markers of the Jewish people. It shows how God chose them to be his own and proved it through his deliverance. He had made a covenant. Y'all remember covenant? All right, go back and watch some old series. Okay, we did a whole series called Covenant. And how he proved he was going to keep it was through their deliverance. And so they ate this meal to remember. This was a reminder of that. Nowadays, they call this the Seder meal. Everybody say Seder. That is spelled S-E-D-E-R for those of you who are stressed out of how to spell it in your notes. The Seder meal. And Seder literally means order. This meal would take about three hours to go through, all right? Who loves a meal that long? Can I get an amen? Yes, Lord. So three hours to go through, and Jesus, being a law-abiding, following to the T Jewish man, would have walked through this as the head of the disciples together. He would have led through this meal. So I want to walk through this meal with us tonight because when we think tonight, we're going to take communion together. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask for my like beautiful little shot here on the side. Um, when we think of communion, we think of this. Tiny little weird cup with Welch's in it because, hello, we're Christians. No wine in this cup. And then usually either like a slightly hardened piece of bread or like a weird wafer, 
right? That's what we think about when we think of the Lord's Supper. But this right here came from this meal right here that is set before us. So first, I just want to walk through the food. So let's keep on this shot really quick. And literally, still to this day, they have a plate set up like this. It's called the Seder plate. And they have a few things on it. Number one, they have a lamb shank bone. I'm not going to lie to y'all. This is a chicken wing um, <laughs> because I couldn't find any lamb shanks. All right? So I ate this before, but just, just think this is a lamb shank. But I'm not going to lie, the chicken wing was good. So they have a lamb shank bone that reminds them of the lamb that was sacrificed before, um, uh, before they were delivered. Remember, they put the blood over the doors and the lamb was sacrificed so that they could be saved. They have some parsley up there. Cut this myself. This is a tiny right here, a tiny glass of salt water. And during the meal, they will dip the parsley in the salt water and eat it. And the salt water reminds them of the tears of the slaves but the parsley of the new life that came. They'd have, this is just applesauce, uh, but something like applesauce. It's a mixture of apples and spices and all that. But it reminds them of the mortar that they would have had to have used to build things for the Egyptians. They have an egg. That's it. I'm just kidding. They have an egg um, to remind them of the new life. Um, some also say the circle of life that has come as God's deliverance. They have horseradish. This is nasty, uh, but I will explain to you later while they have horseradish. Uh, it is a very pungent taste. Let's just put it that way. They also have unleavened bread. Okay, this is not a giant cracker. This is unleavened bread they would use with the meal. And they also have new wine. Okay, we can zoom out of this. I just wanted you to see the elements here. All right, so now that we have our orientation of the meal, let me walk you through it. Everybody good? Say yes. All right. Uh, so how they would start this meal is Jesus, they all would have had their cup. Jesus would have taken the wine, and they start by pouring one cup of wine. Again, 100% 2019 Welch's, Okay. And he would raise it up and he would say a blessing and he would actually pour a cup for everyone around them. Now, if you've been around New Spring any period of time, you know that they would have had four cups throughout the entire meal. That's a lot of wine, but remember, it took three hours, all right? But four cups throughout the entire meal. But this, and uh, again, if you've been at New Spring, these four cups are not just four cups. Everything was a means of remembrance. So the four cups were, them to, for, were for them to remember four promises that God had made in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. We're going to put those up on the screen as well. Yas. Okay, I want us to say these out loud. I'm going to give you a second to write them down as you feverishly do it. But I'm going to invite all of you to put your eyes on the screen or pen to paper. I'm going to say it, and then I want you to repeat after me. Okay, the first cup was, I will bring you out. The second cup was, I will deliver you from slavery. There are some dudes' voices in here have really changed. Man, they are just, you sound like a 35-year-old man. All right, the third cup was, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And number four, the fourth cup was, I will take you to be my people. There are the four 
cups representing four promises. So the first one would be, hey, I'm just going to give you, we're pouring this, and we were remembering how God brought us out. And they would take a sip. I'm actually quite parched, so that tastes good. And after they poured the first cup, then they would do the ceremonial washing of hands. Some of y'all need to learn to wash your hands. That has nothing to do with the spiritual message. It's just wash your hands more, okay? Some of y'all are nasty. But the head of the table would have gone around and he would have washed, everybody who was at the meal, he would have washed their hands. Jesus is already flipping the script. Does anybody remember what Jesus did in John 13? He washed the disciples' feet, even nastier. Feet are not pretty. Some of y'all are like, I got pretty feet. No, you don't. Nobody has pretty feet. So in this step of the process, normally where the head of the table would have washed hands, Jesus goes around and saying, I'm taking this cleansing thing even further. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm taking this covenant further. So already the meal is different. Already the tradition is changing. I'm sure you already have some raised eyebrows from the disciples and their memories are shifting. After this, they would have done the parsley dip, which sounds, I'm not going to eat that. Uh, and they would take this bread, and this is the first time that Jesus would take the matzah bread. Everybody say matzah. matzah. And he would literally, some of y'all are wondering why it's called breaking bread. He didn't break the bread. You don't break bread, you tear bread. That's because you're a Westerner, and all you eat is Panera bread, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this bread. And he would literally have, listen, I really wanted that to break in the middle, and that's going to bother me. But he would have broken the bread. He would actually, now they do this. They take a piece, they put it to the side. He would have blessed it, and they would continue with the meal. Um, and at this point, when he blesses the bread, then they start the actual, like, storytelling time, all right? So especially, I'm the baby at the table. The youngest at the table would start asking questions, all right? So, like, why are we eating like this? And what's the Passover? And why are we reading so much of Exodus and all that? There's actually four questions that the baby at the table is supposed to ask. And I, want to, I do want to show you this. I just geeked out. I literally just did this. I want to show you this. One of the questions that they would ask to start the storytelling of the Exodus story, because remember, this whole meal is to remember that, is the youngest one would ask this question, just one of them, but they ask four. He would ask, hey, why do we recline like this? As you notice, I'm sitting on the floor. I don't often do this. I'm 31. I have arthritis in my back. I need a chair, all right? But in the Passover meal, they still do this. They eat with cushions. This is a lovely cushion. And they eat, I hope you can still see me, they eat reclining like this. Chilling, okay? And so just imagine me. I've got my cup, and we're just reclining, and we're remembering, and we're eating. This is now how I want to eat every meal. But the youngest would ask, hey, every other night, we don't sit like this. Why do we sit this way when we eat? And I love this answer. I want to read this to you. It says this. And the head of the table would say, we eat this way to commemorate our freedom by reclining on cushions like free royal people. They eat like this because this is how free people eat. They eat restful because this is how free people eat. This is a side note, not even part of the sermon. Some of y'all, if you want a real mark of freedom, you need to stop striving, trying, and working so hard and learn how to live your life in this reclined position. This is how a Christian lives. The world's falling apart. His peace he gave to me. I live at rest. 
That's a side part of the preach. That's not even part of it, but it's so good. Okay. So they would do that, and they would ask the questions, and then they end the storytelling time with this thing. I told y'all this is going to be thick, okay, with this thing called dianu. Everybody say dianu. For those of you, again, who are freaking out, you spell that D-A-Y-E-N-U. I'm teaching you Hebrew, all right? You're bilingual now. Dianu, and this is kind of a call and response thing like you and I did with the four promises, but they would talk about, and Dianu literally means it would be enough in Hebrew. Dianu means it would be enough. I never say that when I'm eating usually because it's usually never enough. Never enough. But with Dianu, that means it would be enough. So they do a call and response thing. And I want to do this now, okay? So I'm going to say a statement like they would in the Passover, and you're going to say it would be enough. So let's just practice right now. Everybody say it would be enough. Okay, great. I will do like this when it's your turn to say it, all right? So they get to this point in the meal. The head of the table would say, if he had taken us out of Egypt and not made judgments on them, it would be great. If he had given us their wealth and had not split the sea for us, if he had pushed down our enemies in the sea and had not supplied our needs in the wilderness for 40 years, if he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Sabbath, and if he had brought us into the land of Israel and had not built us the temple. That's just a few of the things that they say. But I want you to imagine, use your imagination, go into the story. Jesus walking through this Dianu, and every time they are saying it would have been enough, him thinking in his head, then why am I here? Okay? Jesus knowing the miracles that brought the Israelites out of Egypt are amazing. They show his faithfulness. They show his goodness, his provision. He rained bread from heaven. He brought them food in the wilderness. He split a Red Sea. He defeated giants for them to take the promised land. He gave them a temple where he could come meet with them. And yet still, every time they say it would have been enough, Jesus is knowing it was not enough. It's not enough. The miracles, the, the working, the provision, all of that, were it not for the payment of one perfect sacrifice, it would never be enough. Is this making sense to anybody in the room? That many of us are satisfied with, the, with seeing glimpses of Jesus in our friends and thinking that's enough. It's not enough. You're satisfied with coming to Fuse and getting a little spiritual high in worship or whatever. It is not enough. It would never be enough. Jesus knows this because in the next few hours, something had to shift to where it would finally be enough. Why would Jesus have to come if that in and of itself was enough? I'm sure Jesus, even in this moment, is starting to wrestle his own questions in his head. Father, is it not enough that I came? Is it not enough that I submitted to human parents even though I'm divinity in human form? Is it not enough that I loved the unlovable? Is it not enough that I worked miracles? Is it not enough that I walked on water? Is it not enough that I called out to those that nobody else would call out to? Is it not enough that I touched those who no one else would touch? No, it has not yet been enough until an ultimate sacrifice is made. Only then, when Jesus will soon declare it is finished, will it ever be enough. But we're not done with the meal, okay? So we got to continue. 
As the meal continues, they then would pour a second cup, which I'm not gonna do. They would take a sip. There's another ritual hand washing. They're a lot about cleanliness. Another blessing over the matzah. And then this is what they would do, y'all. This is nasty. I'm not gonna do it because I literally wouldn't be able to recover. But they would take the matzah bread. They would dip it in the spicy, horseradishy, num-num. I can't do it. Literally, even sniffing it makes my eyes hurt. But listen, this is, I'm not going to do it. I really wouldn't be able to recover and then, and then the message would be over and we're not done. Let me tell you why they do this. They literally will eat this until their eyes water to remember how bitter slavery was and how much they never want to go back there. Let me tell you how I know some of y'all aren't free yet and when I know I'm not yet living in freedom, when I still don't realize that sin tastes like this. Nasty. We gotta remember the bitterness of slavery that sin is. Just a side note here, I told y'all, there's so much in this meal, I can't even cover all of it, you need to go study it. But many believe that this is what they were partaking of when Jesus says that one of y'all will betray me and Judas looks at him and says, is it I, Lord? And he says, you have said so. Think of Judas and Jesus already with tears in their eyes, partaking of this together. And Jesus looks at him in the eyes with tears already in them, maybe from the horseradish, maybe from knowing what he was about to do and said, whatever you have to do, go do it quickly. This is not just coincidence. Jesus knew what he was doing. So he would partake this, which I'm not going to. Judas left at that moment, and then they would have the actual feast. They bring in extra food. They don't just gnaw on already nommed on bones. They have an actual feast, and this is where we get to the main scripture of tonight because this is how they end the meal. So they've done all that, the, the um, four, the, excuse me, the dainu, the questions, the parsley, the, all that good stuff. And then usually, remember the piece I said that he put aside? He would bring that back. And this is where we get to the scripture for tonight. This is usually how they wrap up a meal, all right? So in Matthew 26, 26, we get here. And remember, the family tradition, like the family prayer. This would be the moment at my house where we all gather around and I'm waiting for my granddaddy like he normally does to go, Lord, give us hearts to be truly thankful for this. And how many Moses did you say in four seconds? Amen. Okay, they had blessings that they would normally say. So Jesus picks up the bread, he breaks it, and this is where all the disciples are waiting for him to say every word that they've ever heard said since they were babies, and I'm sure they're just going to autopilot in their minds. And then Matthew 26, uh, 26 says this, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, for this is my body. This is a dramatic moment in history. Okay, I know many of you have been taking communion since you were wee little babes, but this right here was a dramatic moment in human history. Jesus flipping the script of hundreds of years of ritual and family tradition to show them, hey, this meal that you've been eating for hundreds of years, the blessings that you've been blessing it with, the prayers you've been praying, all the stuff that represents what you think is a lamb and what you think is mortar from slavery and what you think are you know, representations of tears, all of this was not actually just a looking backward. It was a looking forward to me. 
I am the fulfillment of everything that you've been remembering, and now I want you to remember differently. This bread no longer represents the bread that you just took. The reason it's unleavened is because they had to leave uh, Egypt in such a hurry that they didn't have time to put yeast in for the bread to rise. They just had to take it because they were getting freed and they had to run. And Jesus was showing them, this is not just what you are taking with you when you representing that when you left Egypt. This is now representing who you take with you wherever you go because I'm about to break my body to ensure it. This is the depth of this analogy. This is the depth of when you take this, the body of Jesus broken for you so that sacrifices don't have to be made anymore because one perfect sacrifice came. Can I get a good amen from somebody in any room? This is amazing. This is incredible. That in this moment... He was saying, hey, this is no longer remembering back. This is me. I am it. And my body broken for you will ensure that I will be with you wherever you go. But the meal's not done. So they would have partaken of this and passed it. And then they would have had their third cup. And he would have raised it. And we know he would have read or he would have said this in Matthew 26, 27 through 28. It says this, and he took a cup, everybody say a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Please leave that um, scripture up because I want you to see the the blood of the covenant piece. But we're just going to look at that scripture as I teach for a minute. Anybody remember how many cups we've already had? This is this is cup number three. Yes, this is cup number three. Anybody remember what that represents? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Hundreds of years of repeating the same promise and Jesus showing in a moment, I am the fulfillment of this cup. Now this is, this is the whole, please lean in right here for the next few minutes because this is everything. It says he took a cup. I had you repeat that for a reason. This was very unusual in a Passover meal. Everybody had their own cup. But he took a cup, his cup, and it says he passed it around to all of them to drink. Some of y'all that freaks you out because you're a germaphobe. And the thought of drinking after 12 other people just is not your zone, all right? But he takes his cup and he passes it around to all of them. Why was he doing this? Because he was showing, okay, the blood of the covenant to you. I'm going to tie all this together. The blood of the covenant, and why did he pass his cup? The blood of the covenant he's referring to is in Exodus 24. Write that down. And is when Moses sacrificed an oxen and purified people with the blood. He literally would take it kind of like this. This is going to be gross, but it's fine. And he like kind of just sprinkled it like that. Can you see that? Making it rain. Okay, he would sprinkle them with the blood, and it was a sign of purification. But Jesus is showing us that he says this is the blood of the new covenant because no longer can you just be marked by the blood of an animal. You have to be consumed by the blood of me. Okay? 
You cannot just be sprinkled by Christian activity and be saved. You must receive only the cup that Jesus Christ himself could fill and drink deeply of his payment, of his sacrifice, of his grace, of his blood poured out for you. This cup and this cup alone because only Jesus could fill the cup of redemption that we would have to consume. Only Jesus could fill the cup of redemption that we would have to consume. Who remembers his prayer in the garden where he says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. He knew how much it was going to take to be the redemption of the world. That he was going to have to spill every drop of blood in his body because no longer could it just be animal after animal after animal after animal to cover people's sin day by day by day. We needed one perfect sacrifice for all time to completely consume us so that we can live in the freedom of the relationship with Father God. This is huge. And I wonder if Jesus, when he's in the garden, and then he prays, but not my will, but your will be done. I wonder if in that moment he had those four I will statements in his mind. That I will bring you out, that I will deliver you, that I will redeem you, and that I will take you to be my people, knowing that only he, only his I will to God the Father could fulfill all of those I wills. Only by partaking of the cup that only Jesus could fill, his payment, his redemption, can you be saved and know freedom. This is huge, y'all. What he is unpacking for us here. Redemption itself means the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. This is the cup Jesus was purposed to fill. And only by drinking, by taking, by receiving his salvation and redemption can we be saved? So they would have all taken of that, knowing that from this moment they would remember differently. Then in verse 29, it says that uh, the fourth cup they would have poured, and he says, but I won't, that's the cup of I will uh, take you to be my people. And he says, the next time I drink this cup with you, we will be together in paradise. I can't wait to drink that cup with Jesus when he comes back, amen. But I wanna show you now how they wrapped up the dinner because, and then we're gonna take uh, the Lord's Supper together. Look at how they wrap up the meal in Matthew 26, 30. Such a small thing, but there's so much in this. In Matthew 26, 30, it says this. The meal is done. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That hymn that Jesus Christ himself sung, we know what hymn that was. We know what song that was. First of all, I want you to think about what just maybe the singing voice of Jesus could be like. The word that was in the beginning, joining in song. And look at this in Psalm 118, what Jesus would have sung right before he knows he's about to be betrayed, arrested, and killed for you and for me. This is what he sings in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Look at this verse. 
that Jesus would have sung on the night that he's going to be arrested. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. (laughs) I imagine that even in all the pain that he knew he was about to face, there it is. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. With everything that he was about to face, I wonder if he still sung this with a smile on his face. Knowing the joy that was set before him, that yes, beating was about to come, betrayal, crucifixion on a cross, and death, but ultimately on the other side, the resurrection and the salvation of the world. This is the best news. What we are celebrating tonight, what we are remembering in a small way uh, of how they would have done in this extensive way is everything to us. Jesus showing them and showing us tonight that all of time was pointing to this time. That every hard day you face can always be faced because this is the day that the Lord had made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. With the day that Jesus faced with with crucifixion in front of him, if he can sing knowing the victory that was on the other side, then believer, you take heart tonight because no matter what you are facing, you remember tonight that Jesus faced far greater pain than any of us ever will and he knew that even on the other side there was victory and he said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is such good news. All of time pointing to this time that he was about to enter into and what we get to remember tonight. So what a gift that we get to remember as we're gonna take now what looks like this at every campus. I hope that has expanded your view of what we are remembering together. I hope it's expanded your thought of what Jesus did and went through in order for us to remember his payment. I went away personally today and I took this by myself and I just cried and I laughed and I praised God that, I, that now because of Jesus, death does not have to consume me because I get to consume his payment. Sin doesn't have to consume me because I get to consume his payment. I have received his salvation. So here's what we're about to do at every campus. You can go ahead and put your Bibles and your journals away, but I want you to think of three things. We have stations at every campus where we're going to go remember, but I have three things I want you to keep in mind as we do. Okay, number one, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a holy, holy thing meant for believers of Jesus Christ. Those who have professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are the only ones who should come forward and partake of this. I say it it as lovingly and as clearly as I can. But I want to tell you too, everybody's about to move in a minute. If you're questioning and wondering, have I actually started a relationship with Jesus? Do I have a story to remember of when he found me, of when he saved me, of when I realized the depths of my sin, but the heights of his grace Everyone's going to be moving anyway, so it won't be weird if you tap a volunteer on a shoulder who has a name tag and says, can we go have a conversation? Please do that tonight as we move, because tonight might be the moment that you remember. Secondly, for believers in the room, as you go get this, I want you to hear me. We're going to all move when I pray and say amen. Take the elements, take your wine, Take your, it's not wine, by the way, every campus, it is Welch's. Take your uh, cup and take your bread, but don't partake of it yet. Don't eat it. Your fused pastor or a host is going to walk through this with you. 
But I also want to be very clear for believers. The Jewish people will take a week to purify themselves before they partake of Passover. Remember repentance we just talked about last week? Sam from Florence, an incredible job. Many of us, you need to take a moment in the time that we are gonna sing and you need to repent of some sin. You need to give some bitterness over to God. You need to ask God to purify you before you partake of this. Let last week's message and this week's message work hand in hand. Pray, God, is there anything in me that I need to give to you before I take this? All right, if everybody's still with me, nod your head, okay? And thirdly and finally, I wanna say this. Enjoy this. <laughs> like, this that you're about to do, Christian, should not be boring because this is everything. This is what Jesus Christ himself, his hands, his voice, marked for us as a way for us to remember him, to remember not only the payment we have from him, but the victory we have in him. We do not partake of this tonight as suffering, as embittered, as, as battered down people. We take this tonight as victorious, powerful, chosen co-heirs with Christ, all right? So you lift this cup, no matter what's happened, you give it to Jesus tonight and you remember the payment that he made for you knowing that now, remember the Dianu we said? Knowing now it really is enough. When Jesus declared it is finished, it is now enough. Not your behavior, not your accolades, not anything you've done. With the broken body of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out, it is now indeed enough. And we get to lean back tonight in victory and partake of this act of remembrance together. Okay? Can I get an amen in that? Amen. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and as soon as I say amen, y'all can start moving to stations at every campus that are set up for you. But remember, don't take, don't actually eat yet because your fused pastor is going to walk through how to do this together. But let's pray together before we do this. Father God, I thank you so much for the, the sacrament of remembering that you gave us, King Jesus, to remember the, the payment that you made to remember the sacrifice that you made. So we remember tonight together, few students all across the state, we remember your, your body that you broke for us. We remember your blood poured out, but we also remember tonight your glorious resurrection, how right now you are ruling and reigning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict hearts in the room, convict them of their righteousness, convict them of their peace, convict them of their right standing with you, God. Would you purify hearts in this room? Would you save people right now in Jesus' name? Stir hearts to have a conversation. But we also celebrate this in victory, knowing that as we take this, it is like the table pre prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, that as we sip the juice and as we eat the bread, the enemy looks on in defeat because we also remember that he loses and we win. So we declare your victory over every room. We declare your, your power over every room. And we say, thank you, King Jesus, to you and you alone be the glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen.